Good afternoon. My name is Stephanie, and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Managing Occlusion with Invisalign conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, press the pound key. Thank you. I would now like to turn the conference over to Aaron Mignani. Please go ahead. Ladies and gentlemen, again, thank you for joining us today. I'd like to go over a few tools you'll be able to use throughout today's web seminar. To submit a written question at any time during the event, locate the Q&A panel on the right-hand side of your screen. Next, type your question in the rectangular space provided and click the Send button. We encourage you to ask questions at any time during the presentation. Your questions will not be viewable by other attendees, and your questions will be addressed at the end of the presentation. If you experience any technical difficulties, please contact WebEx Technical Support at 1-866-229-3239. That number again is 1-866-229-3239. As a reminder, today's presentation is being recorded. Your moderator for today is David Molman. David, please go ahead. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on today's Ask the Expert program, Managing Occlusion with Invisalign with Dr. David Gates. You will earn two CE hours for attending today's program, and you will receive important instructions on how to obtain your CE certificates at the conclusion of Dr. Gates' presentation. Additionally, CE hours will automatically be added to your Invisalign doctor's site account. Please allow two to four weeks for CE hours to appear on your account. Please note you are able to listen to today's program via the webcast, as well as dialing in via telephone. At the end of Dr. Gates' presentation, those of you who have dialed in by phone will be able to ask both live and text questions, and those of you listening via the webcast may only ask questions via text. I apologize in advance if we are unable to answer everyone's questions since our time is limited, but we will follow up after the program to answer any outstanding text questions. Today's program will be archived in its entirety one week from today at AlignTechInstitute.com, where you may also access archived versions of all of our previous Ask the Expert programs anytime for CE hours. It's now my distinct pleasure to introduce today's speaker, Dr. David Gates. Dr. David Gates has been treating Invisalign patients at his private practice in Las Vegas since 2001. He maintains a practice focusing on cosmetic, reconstructive implants, as well as Invisalign treatment. Dr. Gates lectures throughout the United States, Canada, and Central America, and conducts numerous study clubs as well. He's a graduate of Marquette University, and on a personal note, I have the pleasure of working with Dr. Gates on our Clear Essential courses and I know you'll find him extremely engaging and informative. So without further ado, I'll turn the program over to Dr. Gates. Dr. D Gates, you now have the floor. Good morning. I'd like to extend a warm welcome to all of you, the doctors, and also the many doctors that I've met recently at Lyme courses. I have many of my personal friends listening today, and also uh, colleagues from the Lyme faculty, many of whom I'm deeply indebted to for the ideas that I'm shamelessly borrowing for today's webinar. Uh, the ideas and suggestions that I'm going to be making about occlusion today are gleaned from my own mentors and uh, include three trips to Costa Rica to better understand occlusion in this line and from a decade of experience treating these cases. So I, I do want you to understand that I'm responsible for this presentation and not align. I also want to mention that no aligners were injured in the making of this webinar. So let's start with uh, a question. In fact, let's start with four questions. Is it necessary to manage the occlusion with Invisalign? Is that something that we should even be paying attention to? Do I need to adjust the occlusion? 
I'm aware that many dentists adjust the occlusion as part of their dental treatment, as part of their Invisalign treatment, and I'm also aware that there are many that have never even given that a thought. Will the occlusion manage itself? Will it just take care of itself? Are the technicians able to translate from the ClinCheck setup what you want in your final occlusal scheme? Will ClinCheck manage it for me? What do I need to do to get a good occlusion at the end of Invisalign treatment? Those are some of the ideas that I'm going to suggest today. And in order to make that make sense, I have to do something that the line is not really able to do, which is to dictate an occlusal philosophy. There are many around. One of my mentors, Frank Spear, says that all occlusal schemes fall into basically three philosophies. My own philosophy is a Panky Dawson background, and I'm going to suggest with that in mind that as a starting point, there are five things that make up a really good stable occlusion. So a good starting point for our discussion today is to all get on the same page about occlusion. Now, some of you may have different philosophies about occlusion, and I'm totally sympathetic to that, but I have to give you a basis on which to uh, implement that with Invisalign, and I personally think this is the easiest one. So I'm going to give you a definition of a good stable occlusion, and in my mind there's five points about that that I'd like to use as a starting point. One, all the teeth touch at exactly the same time. Dentists think about that a lot. The patient never thinks about that. If you ask them, how many teeth do you want to touch at the same time, they won't really understand what that means, unless only one tooth touches or two teeth touches, and I'll certainly tell you about that. So I would like my occlusal scheme with my articulating paper to look like that at the end of my case. I'd like that to be true in a reconstructive or a cosmetic case, and I'd also like it to be true at the end of an Invisalign case. The second one is that all teeth touch at exactly the same time in centric relation. I'm looking for a baseline. I'm looking for a point of stability, a reference point. And so centric relation is the one that I'm going to use in my own practice where the joint is fully seated. I want the joint to be fully seated in the socket right on the disc in its most superior anterior position. The way that that will look if I've got the uh, joint like that is I want all the muscles to be inoperative. I don't want any of the joint muscles to be pulling on the joint in any direction or for it to move down the eminence in any direction. So that's what I'm looking for in centric relation. I would like to uh, emphasize that no other position than that counts for confirming that all the teeth hit at the same time. They, they must all hit at the same time when the joint is fully seated. And the one that also doesn't count is the one that the patient may habitually take, which would be centric, centric occlusion. So with that in mind, any version of protrusive doesn't count when looking for all the teeth to hit at the same time. Anytime the patient moves forward to any degree, that doesn't count for all the teeth touching together. Any version of excursive doesn't count. Anytime the patient moves to the side in any direction, that doesn't count as a way to identify all the teeth hitting at the same time. Remember, the patient cannot get themselves into CR if they have occlusal interferences. The mandible will automatically guide them into maximum intercuspation. The dentist is the one that has to guide them in the correct position. And once he's done that, and holds them in that position, 
Then the patient can identify their interference or their what we sometimes call hit and slide. They can find that, and in my practice, I'm able to reproduce that a second or a third or a fourth time to confirm to myself and to the patient that they're always hitting at the same time when they're fully seated in that centric relation position. Now, it's true that getting them into centric relation is an individual skill. It is a separate skill that needs to be learned and mastered, and it's a little difficult to express that to the dentist that's never had any experience with getting a patient in centric relation. In my own practice, I use a technique called bilateral manipulation. The idea is to get the patient to let go of all the muscles of, uh, of the joint and let that fully seat. The way that I'm going to accomplish that is that I'm going to ask them to totally relax and open slightly and hang, the term I use is, can you just hang there? Don't help me. Don't move forward or backward or side to side. Just let your jaw relax. And then I'm going to lean slightly downward on the front, in the, on the chin, and upward on the ramus to fully seat that in its superior anterior position. It's at that point that I can manipulate them into that hit and slide. So I don't really want the joint to be anywhere on the eminence. I want to guide them into fully seated. Peter Dawson uses the term romancing the jaw. For many patients, this is very easy. For many patients, this is very challenging because their jaw has trained them to resist that point of first contact, that hit and slide. So the third thing I'm looking for in an ideal stable occlusion is in anterior protrusion, all the posterior teeth are discluded. So when they go into the forward position, no interferences on the back teeth. Everything separates immediately. When I'm finished with the aligned process, the Invisalign process, I'd like all those, the two front teeth, eight and nine, to be evenly touching with the incisal edges of 24 and 25. So I have four teeth touching two and two evenly together. That's the third thing I'm looking for in a very stable long-term occlusion. The fourth thing is that cuspid rise also discludes all the posterior teeth. So when they go from side to side, none of the back teeth are interfering. Only work is done on those cuspids. If that's shared with the laterals, fine. If it's shared with the centrals, fine. But nothing from the cuspid back having interferences. And the fifth one is the phrase that I like, dots in the back and lines in the front. So if I've gotten the patient in that centric relation position and all those back teeth are touching, I should have even dots on all my posterior teeth as shown in the blue there. And then also I should have, when I go into my protrusive and excursive movements using, in my case, red articulating paper, I'm looking for all the lines, all the skid marks, all the tracking to be on those anterior six teeth. The cuspids will be the excursive movement and those um, four anterior teeth, or at least the front two, will be the protrusive tracking. So dots in the back and lines in the front, in my mind, represent a, an ideal occlusion. Okay, so recap. All teeth touch at exactly the same time. All teeth touch at exactly the same time in centric relation. Anterior protrusion discludes all posterior teeth. Cuspid rise discludes all posterior teeth, dots in the back, and lines in the front. Now, I'd like to just mention a little cautionary tale, if I may. 
I want to show you why you should manage the occlusion and what happens if you don't. I started out today by asking, should you manage the occlusion? Should you do it at the beginning, the middle, the end? And I'd like to suggest a reason why you should manage the occlusion and not take a passive or relaxed uh, stance on this, but actually manage it yourself. In the next case, I'd like to show you I left the occlusion alone at the beginning. The patient had some occlusal troubles, including a very large hit and slide. It was actually, by my measurements, about four millimeters, which is a county mile, a very large hit and smile. And uh, because the patient had occlusal issues, I decided to leave the occlusion alone until the end of all the straightening of the teeth. Now, a line, as you may aware, be aware, asks for maximum intercuspation. And these views that I'm going to show you are all in maximum intercuspation. I should mention that I was concerned about the fact that a line asks for maximum intercuspation in light of the fact that in my practice I was dealing with hit and slides and occlusal balancing and harmonizing routinely. So when I went to my first CE in Los Angeles in 2001, during a break I went up to, uh, to talk to the presenter, who happened to be a guy I greatly admired, Dr. Doug Brandt, who's now in charge of the Costa Rica facility. And I asked him this question, what do you do when you've got a hidden slide? What if maximum uh, intercuspation is a deviated position? And he responded with one sentence that changed my whole perspective about how to increase my accuracy and manage occlusion in Invisalign. He said, remove the hit and slide before you take your impressions. It was his way of saying, make sure that you're sending in CR equals CO. Make sure that you don't have a difference between CR and CO. Let's watch what happens in this case. You can see that on the upper left corner, it was a, uh, it was a bilateral crossbite case. And all we were going to do was put all the teeth in line and get her out of her crossbite in hopes that she would have um, a really nice occlusion. And as a result, all the symptoms that she had with her TMJ and occlusal problems would go away. But I was just naive enough to decide in this case not to do it until the end. I feared because of this four millimeter deviation. So when she finished her first set of aligners, she was supposed to look like that. What she actually looked at looked like was that. That's her position in centric relation. Her point of first contact is tooth number 12. Remember, this is the end of the first series of aligners. This is in centric, fully seated. I was guiding her in that position. That's what she looked like. Now, you can imagine what kind of trouble I would be in if I simply said, I'm going to send this back, have the technician do his little magic, and expect to get a good result at the end. That's simply not going to happen. So I have an obligation to take care of this before I send the impressions in for refinement. I have to equilibrate to regain occlusal balance, and I have to do it in centric relation. If I leave it alone, it's only going to contribute to the joint problems. So I started to equilibrate that, and I started always holding in that centric relation position that I described, and then began to adjust those points of contact until I had two, and then I had three, then I had four. And finally, after about an hour of work, I was able to get her into a balanced bite, CR equals CO. It was at that point that I was ready for refinement. 
So I have to emphasize that you have to take some action. The easy version of what I'm describing is what Doug Grant taught me. Take care of the hit and slide before you take your impressions, and I'll come back to that in a moment. So what did I learn from this experience? I learned a bunch of things, but one of the things was to, I learned to always adjust the occlusion before taking impressions, and I'm going to talk about that more in a moment. But I didn't fully understand how to manage the occlusion from start to finish in the case. So in 2003, knowing that I didn't know what I needed to know, I headed down to Costa Rica to try to understand how to manage the occlusion with Invisalign. I've since gone down two more times to better understand it, three in total, and so I'm hoping to share with you today some of the things I learned from being down with the technicians and working with the line and trying to figure out how to manage occlusion with Invisalign. So let me suggest six steps in our time today. First, a careful examination of the mouth. Many of you already do this, but those of you who are doing a careful examination, I commend you. I'd like to suggest that we raise the bar a little bit. I'd like to suggest that you be more thorough. And one of the tools I use to do this, I've gleaned from some of my other mentors, and I've got a summary sheet called the Diagnostic Summary Sheet. At the end, I'll be happy to send you your own copy if you, an e if you shoot me an email. This is the sheet that I use, and I've just adapted it and added some of my own things and worked it so that it it works for me. The items in red we call virtually measurable characteristics are the guidelines that are given in CE1 about how much rotation, how much crowding and spacing, how much midline is predictable. That way I can compare what the patient has with what um, I think predictable is, what a line thinks predictable is, so I know how far I have to go. But for today's purposes, I'd just like to focus on the occlusal elements of this sheet, and not all of them, just a few of them. One of the things that I'm going to check early on in my exam is what the overjet is in this patient. Now, there's a bunch of different definitions of what overjet really is. I gave a study club in Las Vegas a couple of years ago, and I asked for definitions, and I got four separate definitions of what overjet was or where it was measured from. And one of those common definitions is where the incisal edge of the maxillary incisors is in relationship to the facial surface of the lower teeth. Um, I have no use for that piece of information. I've never once used that in my practice. What I've used a lot is how much space do I have between the upper and the lower teeth in the front teeth. So I'm going to use some shim stock to get the answer to that. It makes no difference to me where the incisal edge is, at least at this point. What I want to know is if I've got space. So you might say, well, there's four millimeters of overjet there, and in fact, the lower teeth are touching the back of the upper teeth, and in my mind, that's a zero overjet. So I'm thinking also about premature contacts that I've referred to. Where are my hidden slides? Or do I have one, or do I have two, or do I have more? And so in my mind, what I'm thinking is, is there a hidden slide? Because I think that all uh, interferences must be removed. I must adjust. I must adjust the occlusion before taking an impression. So that's what's going through my mind as I'm going through and identifying that. I also have here a point to identify where the, C, the CRCO shift is, but what I want to talk about for just a moment is where the cuspid rise is. And what I'm thinking in my mind there is, can I create cuspid rise if it's missing? If I can achieve cuspid rise in this case, 
I can have a really good occlusal scheme because then with good cuspid rise, lots of the other occlusal problems disappear. So I'm going to work hard to see if I can get cuspid rise. The other thing I'm going to check for is the shin stock check on all the teeth. I want to know before I ever start, and I can do this in about 60 seconds, where are the teeth touching and where are they not touching? And so I'll quickly go around every tooth and have the patient close down and see if they're hitting in contact. They don't know what's touching at the beginning and what's not touching. That takes about 60 seconds, and my staff can write it down. My assistant can write it down right on that sheet. Okay, so the diagnostic summary sheet I fill out in full so that I know exactly what I'm starting with and I understand what the issues are that I'm starting with. Second point I want to make is what I've been making all along, adjust into centric before you take your impressions. Okay, so how do you get centric? Let me show you those pictures again so that it's clear in your mind as best as I can with a webinar and not demonstrating it personally. If I could lay you in the chair and guide you into centric, the vast majority of you listening would have an interference somewhere. And you'd be able to take your index finger and point to it. And then once I've identified where it is, if I had you clenched down, you would slide to one side or the other. I could put articulating paper in there. I could identify that. I could show it to you on the camera. And I could repeat it over and over and over again. I could get past your hesitancy to rest on that because your jaw has trained itself not to hit that point of first contact because it doesn't want to. So it automatically glides into maximum intercuspation instead of allowing it to hit that point. But I could find that for you and demonstrate that for you. But for the purposes of the webinar today, I just want to show you this photograph again, bilateral manipulation in which I'm trying to get the jaw, the chin to go downward as the ramus goes upward. That's going to draw me into the anterior superior position and the muscles will all be at rest. And because my fingers are on a digastric muscle, I'm able to tell when the patient is firing. I can feel those muscles and they're trying to twitch and move, and it's not until I can feel those fully at rest that I know that I've got a stable position. Okay, same pictures again. I want you to understand that all of those five muscles on each side, those masseteric muscles are, are letting go. The muscles of mastication, I mean, are all letting go so it's in a totally relaxed position. Down the chin goes, up the jaw goes. And then I can safely put the articulating paper in there and identify that point of first contact. Now what I'm seeing here is that he was hitting there, and then when I had him squeeze, he slid down to here. So that's, I only have to adjust a tiny bit in this area to have him hit simultaneously. I made such an adjustment on a patient on this last week, and I needed to adjust three points of contact, ones that she helped me identify. It took maybe 90 seconds, and when her bite came together after those adjustments of those three points, she said, wow, that feels so much better. I've had my bite adjusted a number of times, never so quickly and never so thoroughly where it felt so right. And that's the experience that I have on making these adjustments is that one of the reasons that you can tell that you're doing the patient a great service and getting yourself a baseline is because they can intuitively feel how right that feels. Okay, so then what I'm suggesting is that you remove that point of first contact, that hit and slide, before you take your impressions. 
so that you have that gone, and then you're sending in a very stable occlusion. You're, you're sending in as many points of contact that are going to remain throughout the movement of those teeth to keep in a stable occlusion. Okay, so I make these recommendations about that adjustment before the impressions. I do that the day of the impressions. I take anywhere between 5 minutes and 20 minutes to do that before I turn it over to my staff who actually takes the final impressions because we've trained them to do that over the last 4 or 5 years and they do a great job on that. Do not address the protrusive and do not address the excursive movements. Only those centric stops and as little as possible and as quickly as possible. So limit your occlusal treatment to getting solid centric stops and as many teeth as possible so that when you manipulate the joint into that superior anterior position and then have them close, they can't distinguish any tooth that's hitting before the others. And when you tap, tap, tap them in that position, you'll hear that definitive ring that you get when all the teeth are hitting at the same time. Okay, number three, I'd like to suggest you take photos of the arch with centric occlusion marks on the teeth. Once you've got it in that position, knock on, knock, have them bite together and with the articulating paper, and now you're communicating to the technician where those dots should go. And they can see those. Now, they have, you may or may not know, but they have those occlusal dots on their software. They can see where the teeth are touching. You don't have that ability on, on our ClinCheck 3.0. We don't have that ability, but the, the technician can see those. So we can match this up and make sure that the bite that you've sent the patient off with is the bite that he's got on the ClinCheck setup. Number four, I recommend you try to move the molars as little as possible. Now, when I say move the molars, I'm talking about mesial and distal. We're going to expand frequently, and expansion is a pretty predictable movement, in fact, a very predictable movement. So I'm not talking about not expanding the molars as it, as it applies to widening the arch. I'm talking about not mesializing and distalizing them or doing that as little as possible. If I can get a good centric, if I can get a good cuspid rise in my case, why would I need to feel obligated to move three or four molars so that they don't have interferences? I'm willing to let those go if I can get a good anterior guidance and a good cuspid rise. That's all the time I have to say about that. Let me move on to another one that I'd like to spend most of the rest of the time, the last two I'd like to spend most of the rest of our time. I'd like you to avoid premature anterior contacts on finished cases. Premature anterior contacts. What does that mean? Maybe you've experienced this. Here's a common problem to avoid, and I happen to know it's very common because I discuss it in study clubs very often, and doctors often mention to me that sometimes their cases accidentally finished off with some or many posterior teeth not hitting. That's happened to me. When I, first, uh, when I was in my first five cases, one of my cases didn't have contacts on the back teeth, and I asked uh, my territory manager how to solve that, and he suggested that I cut off the ends of the aligners to let those teeth erupt. The assumption was that the teeth were being intruded by the aligners. I'd like to suggest a completely different approach to what's going on there. I did try that. And I did get some super eruption. And obviously, we think that there's going to be some settling one way or the other. But ultimately, I'm trying to finish off with a case as stable as I can possibly get it. I'm going to give you a couple of examples of this. Here's a case where we had nicely interdigitated posterior teeth at the beginning of treatment, and at the end, what do we have? 
posterior open contacts. It happened to her. It happened to him. Can you see that he's interdigitated here? At the end of treatment, he's open. It's happened to me. Here's a case that I thought was pretty nice until I discovered I've got a problem. I've got no contacts in the posterior. Does that happen to you? Maybe you're not sure if it's ever happened to you, and I'm going to suggest that if you go back and check some of those cases with Mylar Shinstock, you might find it's happened to you just like it's happened to me. What caused the posteriors to be open? Was it intrusion? I don't think so. I think that the two problems were insufficient overjet and insufficient overbite. And I'm going to take a couple of minutes to address both of those. I want you to pay more attention to overbite. We're talking about three things in the webinar today, occlusion, overbite, and overjet. Let me address overbite for just a moment. Okay, in Invisalign, overbite is controlled primarily by intrusion or extrusion. If you want less overbite, you're going to intrude. If you want more overbite, you're going to extrude. But fundamentally, intrusion is more common. It's more often the control of the amount of overbite at the finish. Now, let us just assume that two-thirds of these cases are intrusion-related, and maybe a third are extrusion. I don't know what the statistics are, but you're going to be doing more intrusion cases than, by quite a bit than you are going to be doing extrusion cases. But like any orthodontic movement, you don't always get all of the intrusion that you request, at least not on the first series of aligners. Now, there's only one tooth that's lagging behind, and it's an intrusive aligner lag. One tooth is very easy to spot. You can look at that tooth and compare it to the ClinCheck and say, oh, 24 is not fully intruded yet. It's supposed to be. It's lagging behind. But if you have four or six anterior teeth simultaneously intruding, that's harder to spot. You don't know how far you are behind unless you take careful care to look at the overbite and measure the overbite in the mouth and compare it to the ClinCheck, which you certainly can and should do. It's just easier to miss four to six teeth that are not intruding all at the same time. What if instead of intruding two millimeters, it only intruded one and a half millimeters during the first series of aligners? And you weren't really aware of that. What if you didn't know that you still had a half a millimeter to go? What would be the result if you had half a millimeter less intrusion than you thought you did? Is it possible you'd end up with something like that? You know how many points of contact I had in this case when I discovered this? I had six, six even solid contacts on the front. You know how many I had on the back? None. They were all hitting on the front. And that's because this case did not intrude as much as I thought it was going to. It was intrusion or a failure to completely intrude that caused me to be hitting prematurely on the front teeth. On another case, I did the check with the paper and discovered that I only had four points of contact, actually two points of contact on four teeth. That's all that was hitting. So now I have to re reassess how I approach my case on that. So I'm going to give you a couple of suggestions for intrusional liner lag. One is to double the number of retention abutments, uh, uh, retention attachments. If you, you may not know this, maybe you do. If you intrude, if the computer discovers that you're doing more than a half a millimeter of intrusion on the anterior teeth, it will automatically, without you ever thinking about it, put two attachments on the bicuspids, one on the left, say, uh, tooth number 21 and one on the right, say tooth number 28. They'll be horizontal and they'll be beveled. You don't have to ask for them, they just show up. So one of the ways to in 
reduce your intrusion alignment and increase your predictability of intrusion, and the amount that you're asking for is double your anchorage. So you put two on, two on both bicuspids uh, and two on the other side. So here I have a rotational attachment for tooth number 27, and then I have two attachments on the two bicuspids, one on 28 and one on 29, and the other side, instead of just having one, I have one on both 20 and 21. So I've doubled the number of uh, aligners, that I, uh, the number of attachments that I have for retention to give more muscle to that intrusional force. Another way is to resist the temptation to intrude six teeth at the same time. You can appreciate that if you're intruding upper teeth, six to 11, you're asking those aligners to push six teeth at the same time, that's a huge order. On the lower where you do it more frequently, I'm gonna certainly recommend that you uh, do it incrementally, that you don't do them all at the same time. Now that's gonna take a few more aligners and it's gonna make my case a little longer, but it's also gonna make it more predictable. Here's an example of that where I've got a case where I'm gonna intrude the teeth uh, incrementally. First 24, 25, then 23, 26, then 24, 25 again, until they're all down. Let me play that again. You do have to ask for this because it won't happen all at once. In that case, I never intruded six teeth at the same time. Now, the incisal ledges are not as even as I would want them to be, and of course, that's because they're worn, and so I have to wait till the end to even those off. Let me play that one more time so you can see how those in, um, intrude incrementally. And I'm gonna ask the technician, I'm gonna say, please intrude two teeth at a time, 23 and, or 24 and 25 first, 23 and 26 next. I'm gonna do those in sets of two. And again, my case will be longer with a little longer aligners, but I'll have much less to do at refinement and I'll have a more predictable case and maybe no, no refinement at all. Okay, still on the subject of addressing premature anterior contacts, I'd like to talk about overjet as the sister problem. What I'm proposing is that premature anterior contacts come from a combination of overbite issues and overjet issues. Let's take a look at overjet for a moment. Okay, so we're talking about occlusion, overbite, and overjet. Why do human beings have overjet? One of my orthodontic mentors described to patients that teeth are supposed to be like a lid on a box. The upper teeth fit over the lower teeth. That's the way they naturally are. So why do human beings have overjet? If you're moving teeth with Invisalign, what controls your decision to retain or alter the overjet? And my position is gonna be that that decision falls to you and that you should be taking control over that. One of the things that I hope to suggest here in this webinar is that I would like to empower you to take control of your case. In the early days of your experience with Invisalign, Align is gonna help you in a thousand ways, and they're gonna do your setups for you, but as you mature in your experience and also as you get more complicated cases, it's requisite that you be empowered to take responsibility for your cases and control the way that it gets set up. So my experience has been that many uh, dentists don't make any decision about retaining or altering the over overjet. They just accept what the uh, ClinCheck setup shows. So what is normal overjet? Is normal overjet this, or is it got some space, or is that normal overjet? If I was taking a survey of all of you who are online here, 
about two-thirds of you would point to the middle one, and about one-third of you would point to the first one, the one on the left. That's all good. All I want you to do is think to yourself, where do you want the patient to end up? What are you looking for in the result, the final result of your case? So because there's lots of thoughts on what overjet is, I'm going to give you my own definition, which I think is most useful as it applies to a line. Overjet controls how far forward the lower jaw moves forward before being forced into disclusion. That's how much space you have before you're forced to start opening. That's a useful piece of information when you're trying to plan that out in your case. So compare the fellow on the left, he's got immediate disclusion. As soon as he starts to go forward, he's forced into disclusion, so it's easy for his back teeth to stay apart. The fellow on the right, he's got a long ways to go before he actually separates out there. So how much are you starting with? You probably need to know that and put it down on your diagnostic summary sheet before you start. So I use Shinstock on a hemostat, and then I put it inside the mouth, as I showed you before, and identified how much space I have to work with. Now, the Invisalign default I discovered when I went down to Invisalign is an orthodontic model with the lower teeth tightly nested against the uppers. I had to decide whether that's the way I want my cases to play out because I was getting cases that had premature anterior contact, partly because this was such a tight, narrow squeeze, and anything that didn't quite happen could produce a premature anterior contact. So I want you to make sure that this is what you really want. Oftentimes, the patient starts out with some, quote, wiggle room, unquote, and then ends up with a very tight overjet, a zero overjet, in fact, a nested overjet. And so I started to be aware that that was complicating my situation, and if I could get a little bit more wiggle room back, I would avoid the problem of premature anterior contact. So I just want you to think about the overjet factor, and as you look at your ClinCheck, click on the button that says anterior overjet view, and look at that before and after. When I was down with my technician, I said to him, can you tell me how much overjet the case has? He said, sure. I said, well, how could you know that? He said, I pushed the overjet button. Sure enough, he pushes the button on his uh, screen, and in comes a green geometric plane. Uh, a rectangle comes flying in, lays against the lower occlusal table, and stops when it bumps against the back of the upper front teeth. It was exactly the dimension I was looking for. And the number came up. Now, based on what I've said, do you think that when you do a clinch check, if my technician gives me the number before and the number after, is that number going to get bigger, smaller, or stay the same? It almost always gets smaller because it's programmed that the overjet gets tighter. But I've discovered that it's helpful not to make that tighter, so I ask him to make it, in fact, a little bit bigger. Otherwise, I find I end up with these dots here or this open posterior situation there, which I'm trying to avoid. So a third solution to avoid premature anterior contact is to increase the ClinCheck setup's overbite slightly. And in my book, that means about a millimeter, or sometimes if there's a lot of wear, which means that the envelope of function is constricted, then I'll go with two millimeters. Two millimeters is a little bit more extreme, but once I started putting in just a little bit of extra space in there, and making the technician navigate around that extra space, I found out that that problem started to evaporate, and I wasn't getting teeth that were hitting on the anterior anymore. 
I was getting all the teeth closer to hit it exactly at the same time. So you can ask for this when, in fact, you want to end up with this. What you really want to end up is all the teeth touching at the same time. But in order to get that, because of the nature of the process, if I gave them a little bit of wiggle room, then the process started to go much more smoothly. So I have some suggestions concerning your overbite. Teeth with wear need more room in the envelope of function, and you can give it to them. You're in a position to give them some wiggle room there. Remember that your technician is very well trained, but he doesn't have any tools regarding occlusal motion or function. Nobody's been able to get, make a, a, an articulator, a virtual articulator yet. Maybe one day we'll have one of those, and you can go into all directions with a face bow from your mouth into the clincheck. Who knows? But he has no articulator, and he's not trained in function. But you are. So remember the things that you've already learned that are part of your dental education, your occlusal education, and your, your masticatory education, and use those. And then remember that the overjet default is zero. I had three different technicians and one supervisor explain how they were trained to set up on that. So they're looking for a zero overjet. This may or may not be ideal for your patient. So I want you to just be aware of that issue, that all of those teeth are going to probably end up on purpose somewhat like that. And if you want something different, you're going to have to discuss that with your technician and learn to be good a good communicator when you write up your notes so that you can get the technician to do what you'd like to do. I know that many doctors that I've talked to are frustrated that it takes one or two or three times to do so. I don't think you should be frustrated over that. It's, of course, we'd like to have it all perfect the first time, but it's not the nature of the process. If you're in control, you're going to have to make sure that the things that you want in your setup are communicated to the technician who's doing it a different way for a lot of other people. I don't know if it's exactly true, but I've heard that about 50% of the clean checks that come back are accepted as is, which means that the doctor isn't putting in a proactive approach to how he wants to set up doing He's letting the technician do all the work not assuming any of the responsibility for himself. And so if the result doesn't turn out the way he wants, then he obviously is responsible for that result. So here are some strategies I'd like to mention. One, instruct your technician on your overjet strategy. Now, if you're working with a several, most of you, when you send your cases in, you have three or four of the same technicians that are always working with you. So instruct them on your strategy. I recommend that you request two retention attachments per quad for intrusion cases. That's doubling the standard number. Three, consider incremental intrusion rather than simultaneous intrusion. Then watch for the amount of wear as a sign of how much overjet you could or should give the patient. More wear in my book means a little bit more room in the overjet. And then I suggest that one of the ways to prevent the anterior premature contact is to add one millimeter or so, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less, one millimeter or so of overjet to your case. Those are five overbite overjet strategies. Okay, I'm repeating on that, so I'm going to move forward and let them do that uh, for me. Okay, I'd like to talk about another case where I can apply these principles. Um, <clears throat> this is a case that I had the same problem with, and once I had the problem, I'm going to suggest ways that you can you can change that. So slide number 77 shows a picture of a mistake that I made where I didn't pay attention to the overjet and overbite. And you can see in that case, it looks all straight, but the bite is not 
is not correct at all. Next slide 78 shows the left side and the right side together, what I started with and what I ended with. Okay, next slide. There's four ways to solve premature anterior contact. I'd like to suggest those to you now of ways that you could manage that. Number one is to lingualize the lower teeth. Now, you're going to need to take a new impression on that, and uh, you're going to need to do IPR and bring those lower teeth in. You're focusing on retraction. That's one way to do that. That's moving into refinement. A second way to solve the problem that I'm showing you is to intrude the lowers. Uh, and that's going to require a new impression and attachments, and that's where you're decreasing your overbite. You're increasing your intrusion so that those teeth get off of each other so the back teeth can come together. Next one, you can equilibrate the bite. Now, obviously, in the case I'm showing you here, that's sort of drastic. That would be totally, in a, in a, in, totally inappropriate in this case. And then the fourth one is you can use class three elastics during intermission. Now, intermission is the period of time in which you're between aligners. A line gives you 180 days. There's lots of things that you can do besides going instantly into refinement that can help, and that's what I did here. Next slide, please. And that is to put it in class three elastics. The class three elastics making it possible to pull the lower teeth in and for the upper teeth to go forward and it took me about four months in order to get that case from the way you saw it at first and into the way that I've got it here, where you'll see that um, she managed to get all of those teeth together. I'll show you the next slide. She started out open like that and ended up, after four months of class three elastics, like that. And then next slide, she had uh, on her left side open like the uh, slide you see there, and then after four months, everything but the first buys coming together. So it took me about another six weeks to get her, uh, to get that elastic in there where I could uh, elevate that bicuspid with the elastic that you see there. Two buttons on the top, one on the bottom, so it's two roots against one, and in about another six weeks, I got them in contact like that. So now I've done five and a half months worth of work before I got back to refinement, all because I didn't pay attention to overjet and overbite. So when she finished off, she finished off with this nice case, but I had the bite corrected, I could send the case in for refinement. The problem came about because I accepted a case with very tight overjet and less intrusion occurred than I planned. That's where I ran into problems. Okay, the last thing I want to talk about today, if you'll let me go past overjet and overbite issues, is to talk about improving refinement accuracy. I've got two points to discuss with regard to improving refinement accuracy. One is that in between sets of aligners, in between my first series of aligners and refinement, I'm going to check again to make sure that my occlusion is stable. So I've adjusted a little bit at the beginning, I'm adjusting a little bit in between the liners, and I'll be adjusting a third time at the end uh, when the case finishes. And then I have to adjust those so
so that I am back to a centric relation where all the teeth touch when I'm ready to send in my refinement. So that CR again equals CO. So I keep drawing the case back so that all the teeth hit at the same time for a more stable occlusion. Sometimes this only takes just a minute or two. Sometimes it's very minor just to refine it very slightly. But I don't want to send my refinement impressions back with, with, in, with inaccuracies in them. So I'm going to take the time to do that before I send that back. Now I've got all my teeth touching at the same time. Now I can take my impressions, send it back in, and I'm going to get a stable case. Now these are the five that I showed you before. So they're on the archive, so you can read them again. But those are the overbite, overjet strategies. Now I want to give you a very specific warning about posterior open bites. In number, the problem I've tried to discuss with you in number five is to avoid premature anterior contacts by paying attention to your overjet and paying attention to your overbite. But what about what to do when you finish that first series of aligners and then you're going to go into refinement? Now I just showed you a case where I used elastics to bring her back into a centric relation position. But I'm sorry that I had to spend five and a half months of detour getting her back on track because I didn't pay attention at the beginning. So I'm going to give you a very specific warning about what happens when you send in a case that has posterior open bite. I want to give you an image that's very exaggerated so that you can see clearly in your mind the danger of what I'm describing here. And I'm asking you to be proactive about this particular problem. It is totally true that you can use um, elastics to solve this problem. But if it's small and you're not going to use elastics, I want to warn you about this issue. Supposing the bite is open at the end of the first series of aligners, but the doctor doesn't know it. Okay, supposing that it's not very much, and so he doesn't really see it, but he now needs refinement. So he takes his impressions and sends them in without identifying the open occlusion to the technician. Now what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next is that without identifying that, either by the doctor or the technician, the bite will be set by the computer. And the computer puts it in its most articulating position with the most contacts. So what's the computer going to do? It's going to close that open bite. It's going to close the actual open bite, which is now erased. Giving a clean check set up a closed bite. The doctor is now working with a clean check that doesn't represent the patient's mouth. So what good is it going to do for you to be moving around those teeth when it doesn't relate what's going on in the mouth? It's not going to happen by magic. How effective will the next set of aligners be at refining accurately if you have an open bite that is now closed? The answer is it won't be effective at all. But you didn't tell the technician. So the technician has no way of knowing that case. So I'm going to give you a couple of suggestions about what to do in that particular case. How to manage posterior open bites at refinement. If you have an open bite at the end of treatment, I'm, I'm, I'm strongly recommending that you follow these simple steps. Number one, you've got to measure it so you know how much you're dealing with so you can tell the technician how much you're dealing with. Measure the amount of space between the uh, teeth with an interocclusal gauge. The picture on the left is an interocclusal gauge produced by a company called Bell to St. Bell to St. Clair. <clears throat> I use it in all my crown and bridge. It's got fingers that are a half a millimeter, a millimeter, millimeter and a half, two, two and a half, and three. The picture on the right shows a crown prep 
where the gauge goes in to assure that they've got a, half, a millimeter and a half of clearance enough for metal and porcelain. I use that routinely on every crown I do, but in this case I'm using the same tool for a different purpose, and that's to identify how much is open in the back so I can communicate that to my technician. Then the second thing I'm going to do is communicate that by writing on a piece of paper, which I'm going to stick in the box. I use just a simple picture of the arches, and I point to tooth number two and number 31, and I say there's a half a millimeter of space in between these two. How much is there between three and 30? A half a millimeter, or, or, um, or whatever, whatever the distance is. You need to communicate that. I just sent one in last week that was just slightly open. And I measured every one of those and wrote it on the sheet, put it in the box, and sent it to records at alignetech.com and in my box so that I'm going to watch to make sure that the ClinCheck setup represents what's in the patient's mouth. What do you do if you get premature anterior contact? There's three more things I'd like you to do. One is to make sure your photographs are diagnostic, and if possible, show the open bite. Train your staff to take good photographs. Get a good camera, get a set of mirrors, get a set of good retractors. I was amused and sad one time when I saw the assistant trying to get a picture of the molar and she used a double retractor. So she's pulling the lips opposite of the molar she was trying to take the photograph on. I've seen some that are blurry, some that aren't cropped, all kinds of pictures that are absolutely useless or the lip laying over the teeth. Be very careful to take really good diagnostic pictures. Number four, focus on lower intrusion and retraction first. Now, in the case of the case I showed you, I used elastics to create retraction so that the heat would be off the front teeth and would return to the back teeth. You can focus on intrusion and retraction first in your aligner setup so that that action happens first and you can get the back teeth back together. Once this is achieved, then you can finish with the current refinement or you may decide now I've got a more accurate situation. I'm going to send in another set of impressions for another refinement. And fifth, do not allow extrusion of posterior teeth in your ClinCheck as a solution to bring your teeth together. One of the reasons you were careful at the beginning in that exam was to find out what was touching first. But having two molars or two molars and bicuspids extrude is so wildly unpredictable that you should not be allowing excursion of posterior teeth as a way of closing the bite because the predictability of that is so, is so remote. Okay, I'd like to just recap what I've said about the uh, points that we want to make today as part of the webinar. And uh, I want to mention to you the six things that I've just said about how to make the case work. Be careful of your exam in the mouth. Use the diagnostic summary sheet. Adjust in the centric relation before you take your impressions. Take photographs of the arch with the centric stop showing so the technician knows where the points of occlusion were. Try to move the molars mesial and distally as little as you possibly can. And uh, pay attention to overjet and overbite as a way of avoiding premature anterior contacts. But if you do get it, make sure you adjust the occlusion before you send in your refinement. And then please heed that warning about open posterior bites and making sure that you communicate to the technician in a way that um, they can reproduce what's actually happening in your mouth. Okay, we're going to take some questions now. I'd like to turn it back to Dave Molman to talk to you about uh, how to get CE credits. But I do want to mention that if you'd like to get a copy of that um, 
of the uh, diagnostic summary form or the sheet to communicate with your technician, I'll be happy to send those to you. Shoot me an email at atlantasdds at gmail.com, and I'll be happy to respond. Uh, back to Dave Mormon. Thank you, Dr. Gates. If you could put that last slide up for me, that would be great. Thank you very much. Uh, again, thank you, Dr. Gates, and a great presentation. Uh, I want to cover one quick thing that's very important in order for you to receive your CE certificate for this program. Currently on the screen right now, there's a link at www.alinetechinstitute.com slash AskSurvey. Once you complete your survey, you will have immediate access to your CE certificates. So please go there after the completion of the program. If you experience any problems with viewing any of the presentation, the archive program will be available one week from today at alinetechinstitute.com. Stephanie, I think we're ready to queue up some audio questions. Can we open up the lines? At this time, I would like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Again, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad to ask a question. Your first question comes from the line of Bernard Schwartz. Uh, hi, Dr. Gates. Thanks for the seminar. I really enjoyed it. I, can you hear me okay? I sure can. Okay. Um, I have a question about... Uh, doing an adjustment uh, on a slide in the middle of treatment like you talked about prior to maybe doing a refinement, do you wait for a certain point? I mean, should you do it at the end of when an aligner, a uh, patient is done with an aligner at like the end of two weeks when the, the teeth are more stable? Or do you care about the stability of the teeth based on a patient being in transition with forces when you do this adjustment? There's two easy parts of that, I suppose. One is that if I'm doing it between the two sets of aligners, yes, I'm waiting till the end of that second week. Many of my peers and myself, we don't do the final adjustment after the last set of refinement aligners until a certain period of time. Some doctors do 90 days. Some, some doctors do a month. But as far as in between the sets of aligners, as the way that I'm talking about getting a stable ClinCheck set up, I don't feel like I have any choice except to make that minor adjustment so that my bite is incentric when I send my second refinement. So in between would be immediate. After the last set of aligners would be delayed. Okay, that answers, that clarifies that for me. Thank you. I appreciate you it, and have a great weekend. Thank you. Nice to talk to you. <clears throat> Your next question comes from the line of Rick Smith. Hi, Rick. Hi, this is Dr. Rick Smith. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Thank you so much. Um, so I'm just wondering when I send in my photos, yeah. um, I'm thinking now it might be a good idea if I have a patient bite on articulating paper, and when I send in those photos, they're going to at least see that? The technician will see that? Yes. I much a good prefer idea. to have them be able to see those so that I can make sure that their dots match the dots in the patients. What I'm trying to do is eliminate certain points of inaccuracy. I'm trying to get the absolute most accurate clin check I possibly can for better results. Well, that's a great idea. And I, my, my audio is kind of cutting out. I didn't really hear what you said about uh, removal of the posterior aligners at the end to possibly help, you know, extrusion. I only pointed out that that was a suggestion that I had received when it first happened to me, and yeah. I was told that it was because the aligners were intruding the posterior teeth and I'm basically su suggesting that that's not the cause of the posterior open bite. It's not because the back teeth are inter 
uh, intruding, it's because the front teeth are hitting early because of either lack of overjet or lack of overbite. Right. And what happens if, like, we have less than a half or a quarter millimeter of open bite? Well, then you can equilibrate, as I suggested you do anyway, and bring those together. If it's just minor and you're very, very close, I would much rather just equilibrate that and not monkey around with those other techniques that I talked about. The right. elastics is more extreme, and so is the problem of measuring all of those open bites. Those are for significant issues. The, the non-significant issue is just adjust the equilibri uh, just equilibrate. Right. I would think that I would see those, those uh, posterior open bites opening up as the patient's going through their aligners. I mean, I'm asking them, how is it now when you're taking these aligners off and eating? Yeah, well, actually, when the bite is open, it, yes. the patient may not even be aware of that. It's okay. not uncomfortable at all. They're not hitting their back teeth, but not by much. They're not even aware of that. Right. It just doesn't lend for a long-term stable result. And then I'm sorry to ask so many questions. I'm just wondering also about having a cuspid guidance. I'm kind of putting in there in my ClinChecks to couple the, couple the cuspids to help with that whole idea. Amen. Suggestions on how we might. Well, I'm always looking to make sure, in fact, in my treatment preferences, there's a specific line about that. I want to make sure that the ClinCheck starts out with those lower cuspids touching the lingual side of those upper cuspids. Okay. And so the technician knows that if it's humanly possible to get those in contact, I'm interested in having him do that. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks, Rick. Nice to talk to you. Your next question comes from the line of Thomas Richard. Hi, Tom. How are you? Good, Dr. Gates. Uh, I have a couple questions on one you just related to a little bit in regards to your treatment preferences. Yeah. Uh, would it be your recommendation that if uh, you have such standards of uh, um, care in your ClinCheck, such as incremental intrusion of two teeth at a time uh, when the anteriors need to be intruded, that that should just be a line item in your uh, uh, treatment preferences? Yes, there's a place for you to fill in the, the multiple choice that they give you, and then there's a few space down below that for, you know, a written description. And so you would put that in as a line item uh, for treatment preferences just so uh, any technician that was developing a ClinCheck for a case that you would have sent in can see those treatment preferences as a standard uh, request? Correct. All I would like to do there is reduce the number of times I have to write back to them. So hopefully my first ClinCheck would come back with that. If it doesn't and they overlooked it, then I'm going to try to be on my game and make sure that I require that of them. Many technicians will be familiar with that, some of them not so much. So it depends on who your technician is of how much instruction you're going to need to give. Okay. And uh, another item uh, I, I just found confusing in the presentation, and I I uh, don't know if you have the ability on your computer screen to actually look at your PowerPoint slides at the present time and, and refer to the slide or slides that I'm mentioning here. But it seemed to be, to me, when you were looking at the relationship of uh, defining what overjet was and what open overjet or a millimeter of overjet was and how you request that to your technicians, it seemed to me at one point on two slides that you uh, started referring to overjet and overbite as the same uh, situation. 
you know what? There's some truth to what you say because uh, I think the overjet and the overbite are both contributing to the problem. Well, I'm actually, uh, what I'm referring to is the actual, uh, uh, the actual wording of the slide uh, listed all of a sudden, instead of overjet, overbite as a uh, synonymous term. Uh, is the slide you're looking at on the screen now the one you're referring to? Oh, it's, it actually says overbite at the top of the slide. Oh, I'm sorry I can't get to that easily, Tom. Maybe you can send me an email separately from that. In my presentation, I hope to talk about them separately, but recognize that the problem of anterior premature contact is contributory from both of them. So if I've got that listed wrong, I apologize. Yeah, that, well, well you, you can review that at your leisure, but uh, I will uh, uh, send you an email. Do you, have, uh, do you have an email address? Yeah, it's listed at the end of the presentation. It's atlantisdbs <clears throat> at gmail.com. Okay, great, because I, I would like to clear up uh, uh, that confusion that I have. Be happy to discuss that with you, Tom. Thanks so much for calling. Okay, thanks. Your next question comes from the line of Sudha Alexander. Um, hi, Dr. Gates. Thank you for your presentation. Sure. Um, yeah, Doc, I have a couple of questions now. Um, my one question is that you, 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 uh, you suggested the use of shin stock to measure the um, OJ between the teeth. Now, how do you actually do that? I didn't quite understand it. Do you, do you, um, when you place it in between the teeth, do you actually get to measure the distance? Uh, shin stock doesn't measure. It's either all or nothing. Shimstock is telling you where you've got contact. So I put the shimstock between any two given teeth and just t tell the patient to close down, and I, I tell them, close while I tug. Mm -hmm. like, so if you've got contact there, the shimstock is so thin that if, it, if you don't have contact, it will slip out. If you do have contact, when you tug on it, you'll be stuck in there. Oh, so it's, okay. it's, it's, not a, it's not a measurement like the rubber uh, interocclusal gauge is with different mm -hmm. thicknesses. It just tells yes or no. Oh, okay. So okay. people say to me, well, the patient has a lot of overjet. Mm -hmm. This patient has buck teeth, they have overjet. And yet when I put the shimstock in and they close, the shimstock will not come out. Well, that means that the lower teeth are touching somewhere on the back of those upper teeth. So they have no space to procline the lower teeth because they're already in contact. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, now, my second question is that you, you, uh, there was a slide that you showed initially which had the uh, dots on the, on the posterior teeth and uh, the slides on the lingual of the anteriors. So how do you actually get those, uh, what do those slides on the uh, lingual of the anteriors mean or how do we com and how do we communicate that to the technician? Are you talking about with the shim stock? Yeah, I think it was with the shim stock. Yeah, there were red, uh, red slides, red lines in the linguals of the anteriors and blue dots on the posteriors. Oh, yes. Okay, that part... Uh, the, the part with the blue dots is easy because you've already taken, you've already balanced your occlusion and you've already put your dots on there and you've taken your photographs with that. You're not going to be able to get, uh, if the teeth are crooked, you're obviously not going to have those even red articulating tracking lines that you're looking for at the end. So what you're asking the technician to do is touch, is to couple the cuspids because then when you couple the cuspids, they will be able to slide. And then if you give some overjet and end up with contact on your anterior teeth, they will disclude. And when you put your red articulating paper in there and the patient slides into protrusive, they will make those tracking marks on the back of the teeth. You'll see those lines like I've drawn them. So my goal is that by the time my case is done in Invisalign, 
and I put my red articulating paper in there that when they slide from side to side and when they slide into protrusive, they're actually producing lines just like that on the back of their teeth. Oh, okay, gotcha, yeah. Yeah, and the last question I think what the previous doctor was mentioning was that uh, in the last slide that you were talking about to solve the premature anterior contacts, one of the points that you mentioned was intrude the lower, take new impressions, increase the intrusion, and decrease overbite. So I think the previous doctor was asking whether it was overbite or overjet that you were referring to. Is that so? Uh, in the slide, it was written as decrease the overbite. Um, if you're going to get... Um, if you've got premature anterior contact, as I described on the two cases where I had it, then both of those will be contributory. You will, you will allow that anterior contact to go away by doing either one of those. If you decrease the overbite, that is to say in through the lower anteriors, then you're going to hit later in the stroke, and so the back teeth can come together, or you can do lingualizing of those lowers, that is to say, increase the overjet, and that will also allow them to drop. So it's mm -hmm. going to be some clinical judgment and some aesthetic judgment as to whether it's half and half or more overjet and less overbite. Frankly, I think that overjet is easier to achieve if you've got a problem than intrusion is going to take longer than lingualization is going to take. So if I'm in a, favor, if I'm in a corner and I have to favor one, I'm going to favor more overjet and less overbite. But both are contributors. And I, I wanted to make sure that, that the whole audience is clear that we're, we're dealing with both of them simultaneously. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah, thanks a lot, Doctor. I wish you could come to New Jersey and give us a presentation. <laughs> I'd love to come. You can write me and I'll come and visit you. Okay. I'll tell my PM about it. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Your next question comes from the line of Jeremy Chans. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, how are you doing today? Good, thanks for calling. Quick question. Um, and I, I had another doctor mention the same thing to me about the overjet, how it's important to have plenty of overjet there so you don't run into this problem. Yeah. Um, and they even mentioned to me to try to try to add it to one of my standard uh, requests, you know, I, I do in this one case. Yeah. But seeing as, seeing as having nested, you know, the teeth into upper and lower anterior is nested, I don't know that that, when is that ever really a good thing? Would it not be a good idea for Invisalign to one day consider having one millimeter of overjet or half a millimeter of overjet as their default rather than nested? Well, they're, they're an orthodontic company, and so they're using the orthodontic model, so I'm not able to comment on what they'll do in the future. And the way I like to describe it is I'm not necessarily trying to change the river. I'm just trying to help you navigate through it. So... You can, you can help yourself on that with your personal preferences, which is what I've done, and um, you, neither you nor I are in a position to go down and talk to the technicians, which is okay with me. So I think your idea is well-founded, and maybe one day that will happen. But the problem, of course, is you're dealing with a million different bites and a million different sets of teeth, and so they have to have some sort of basic standards which apply to most, and I think that's where that comes from. So um, it's a good idea, and one day that may happen. Thanks again for your info. Have a great night. All righty. Take care. Again, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from Archana Gulati. Uh, hi, doctor. This is Dr. Gulati here. How are you? Good. How are you? Thanks for calling. Uh, thank you. 
Um, I'm doing one of the Invisalign cases, and for her, uh, she's pretty much end of her first series of aligners. Yes. Um, she has some amount of open bite, posterior open bite, because her anteriors had premature contact. It's like a minimal. So what you mentioned was it's not a good idea to uh, 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 cut the liners uh, the, uh, on the posterior part. Right. At this point, we should just um, uh, adjust the occlusion uh, and then uh, take impressions for refinement. I, I would prefer to try to see if we couldn't walk through or you can't walk through a diagnosis of what happened differently than what you intended. What I tried to convey was, A, what did the patient start with? Because if you do the shimstock test all around the mouth, you might have determined, yes, everything was closed here. It started out closed. Yes, One it of the started out I'd, closed. In her case, it started out closed. It started out closed. So you have a starting point. Yes. And now you know that in the in the course of the aligners, you now have an open posterior bite. Yeah. So my point is, it probably didn't happen because those posterior teeth got intruded. It probably happened because either you don't have as much overjet as you hoped for, yes. or you don't have as much overbite. So that's where you want to focus your efforts. That's why I think it's useless to go ahead and snip off those aligners because that's a accidental treatment for a false diagnosis. At least I view that as that way. So you'll need to determine what, what the problem was. Was the problem was that you didn't get as much intrusion as you hoped for, in which case you can do a new strategy where you do more intrusion by doubling up on your attachments or incremental attachment. That's going to have to be a refinement. Or if it's an overjet issue, you're going to have to procline the top more or recline the bottom more in order to get yourself some open. Now, if it's wide open, you're going to have to measure how far open that is, and then when you send in for refinement, you're going to have to communicate that with the technician so that your ClinCheck actually represents what happens in the mouth. And then you ask him, I need more overbite or less overbite and more overjet. So focus on the real source of the problem as a, as a consequence of where you are now. If it's just a little tiny bit, you can equilibrate it in, and then you don't have to do either of those. Okay. Okay. As I said, it just happened the last, I mean, she's pretty much end of treatment. It happened in the last, like, two, last two aligners where uh, uh, the overjet was supposed to get corrected. So the uppers were hitting, and, the, and what I noticed was there was slight open uh, contact on one side, on the right side. So, okay. Uh, then, then what I suggest you do is go back and look carefully at the ClinCheck yes. and see how much intrusion is supposed to happen there. Okay. Measure the clinch, measure your overbite when you start and where you are now. If it's if it's that the lower teeth are proclining, they may have overproclined, or your upper teeth may have underproclined, and so that's where that last little bit of hitting is coming from. Okay. All righty. Yeah. Thank you so much, doctor. Thanks for calling. Your next question comes from the line of Stacy Barger. Hi, Stacy. Uh, hi, Dr. Gates. It's actually Mark Amaday. Uh, Stacy's my clinical assistant, and she had to step away to take the phone. Hi, Mark. <laughs> How are you? I'm actually calling because I, I stepped in at a moment where I think I missed something when you were talking about uh, posterior open bite. Yes. And uh, you were talking about it prior to a refinement. Now, if you have that situation, um, I, I was understanding that you don't want to correct that. You just want to make the technician aware of it. 
um, at the time of the refinement. When is it that you're correcting it? Did I misunderstand? Well, let me distinguish between two types of problems, the little problem and the big problem. What I intended to say was <clears throat> if you have premature anterior contact and it's a minor problem and your back teeth are almost together, it's much easier just to equilibrate the patient into place and problem is basically solved because you're back to all the teeth touching in centric relation. That's a matter of degree, though. That's the little version. So if it's a small problem, you can equilibrate it. If it's a big problem that's way more than is appropriate to equilibrate, then you have to communicate that to your technician so that the computer does not close down that open bite and you have a false clin check. Now, what happens if you have, what happens if you recognize that you have posterior open bite, but you are not in any kind of peril where your, your uh, over jet is, is uh, reclined causing it? What if you have an open, open bite due to other reasons that, that, that uh, weren't there prior to starting? Diagnose those reasons for me then. What are they? I'm not quite sure. I, uh, I would think maybe overexpansion maybe in, that, in the posterior areas or um, um, maybe part of the tray fell off. I don't know. Well, that, there's, the, there's the magic question is we don't, I don't feel comfortable asking the technician to do something, to take some action, unless I've figured out what the problem is. Now, what you're describing for me is a posterior open bite, which means that something in the front is hitting. Well, wait a minute, though. Let's say that you have diagnosed that there's nothing in the front hitting, but like, let's say on the left side you're, you, look, you look at the... Uh, and the reason I'm saying this is because I had a patient come in who had Invisalign a couple years back, and to this date, that left side of his, uh, the, the buckle cusps of those molars, I think the linguals are touching, you know, with the shim stock when I do it, they're touching, but the buckle cusps, are in such a position that it almost looks like there's an open bite um, aesthetically. So is that because there was too much expansion in the case? And it's not a case that I did. It's a case that I'm learning from as I, because I wasn't doing Invisalign when I first noticed this on this patient three or four years ago. Okay, so as you know, let's see if I can make, this, make some sense out of this quickly. First of all, expansion does have the ability to open up the buccal cusps while the lingual cusps are still, still, whew, still touching. Think of it as that, as that number 19 rolling outward and downward, right? The buccal cusp goes down, uh -huh. the lingual cusp goes up, the same opposite thing happens above, so now the lingual cusps are touching, but the buccal cusps are apart. You've opened up that buccal occlusal corridor. That's right. not uncommon in Invisalign, but if you have one side that's uh, touching and the other side that's not, that also implies that if you move the points of contact, you could recapture contact on the non-contacting side. So I, I would have to see the case, obviously, but if you're saying to me, one, you described a open bite case, but the front teeth are not touching, what other choices are you except, you have no other choice except that one side, posterior side is touching and the other side is not. That means you've got premature contacts on the, on the offending side. So those will have to be moved so they're no longer premature contacts so that that other side can drop into place. Okay. What, what I'm asking you to do is to go back and compare the ClinCheck with her or with the patient to identify what the problem is. Where are you hitting and why did it end up hitting that way? Because you and I have no business sending in a case to the technician and telling him just wave your hand and say fix it. 
when we don't really know why it is why it is. Gotcha. We have a better chance of figuring it out than the technician does. Okay, I think that answers my question. So what on the on the design that you were or on the picture you were showing was mainly because you know we had to diagnose that you were have you had some anterior discrepancy preventing those posterior teeth from coming together. And I suggested that the most common one was failure to, for six teeth to simultaneously intrude as far down as they were supposed to. Now they're banging early, not letting the posterior teeth, if they had intruded as far down as we wanted them to, then the teeth would all lock into place. But because they didn't go down as far as we wanted them to, they're banging first. Now the back teeth can't get together. Gotcha. All right. All thanks right. a lot. Thanks for calling, Mark. Sure. Again, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Your next question is a follow-up from Thomas Richards. Hello, Dr. Gates. Hello. Uh, I'm reviewing my notes. Yes. I have a contradiction in uh, the notes that I've taken, and maybe you can clarify. Maybe I contradicted. Well, I don't know. Uh, let's analyze it, and you tell me. Uh, five things to maintain a solid occlusion. Yes. The very first item on that definition of solid occlusion is that all teeth touch at exactly the same time, and that would be anteriorly as well as posteriorly, correct? Correct. Okay. Now, if we are going to obtain a little bit of wiggle room in our ClinCheck by providing, let's say, one millimeter of available overjet, are we not disoccluding those teeth at the point of CRCL? That's a very good question. Let me address it in two ways. One is, if the tendency for the Invisalign process is to favor contact on the anterior teeth, which because of the frequency does appear to be the case. And that's default at zero uh, over jet. Yeah, then we can compensate that by creating a little bit of the wiggle room. That's the first point that... I'm going to compensate for it by providing some when in the end I don't really want any at all. I want them in contact at the end. Uh -huh. However, now the second part of that is because I did my homework at the beginning with my diagnostic summary sheet, I can tell whether or not I had contact to start with in the anterior. And if I didn't, Pete Dawson is going to say that it's because the tongue is acting as a stop. So the, the, when you find out what's tracking when you go into protrusive, you might find actually that it's the lower cuspids moving forward against the distal ridge of both of the laterals. So the front teeth didn't start touching at all, in which case in my book it's acceptable to finish with them not touching because the tongue is still going to act as a stop. So I'm basing what I'm looking for with what I started with. And if I've got anterior guidance on my front two teeth to start with, and all the crookedness and all the crowding is on the laterals and the cuspids, by golly, I'm going to leave that because that's already functioning. So my diagnostic summary sheet is helping me to determine what I, what I started with so that I can make a judgment about how that compares to what I want to finish with. Okay, but in an ideal world, uh, I think that because my philosophy of a solid occlusion is in harmony with that first uh, uh, dictate, which is, uh, all posterior teeth and anterior incisal edges, lower incisal edges, contact with the uh, lingual planes of the upper anterior teeth all at exactly the same time in centric occlusion. 
which you say you equilibrate beforehand so that CR and CR are equal, correct? Correct. correct. Okay. And in, in fact, that's what you're shooting for as well in an ITO world, is that correct? That's exactly what I'm shooting for, and I'm trying to achieve that by sending that into a ClinCheck so I can preserve that relationship on the ClinCheck setup. Okay, great. Well, that clarifies my second question then, which is kind of evaporated then, because if, in fact, that's what you're shooting for, if you do have a overjet of, uh, let's say, uh, the hypothetical was one millimeter, uh, in essence, if CO and CR are equal, uh, you will have to have uh, produced at your uh, Cluzo equilibration prior to uh, taking impressions on uh, a one millimeter posterior um, uh, uh, protrusive slide because CR and CO can't really equal each other if in fact you have a, a one millimeter of overjet because you won't get this occlusion uh, when you uh, move forward except with the mandible moving at least one millimeter before disocclusion occurs. No, no, Thomas, you'll, you'll remember that what I suggested was that when you adjust in equilibration, you're only looking for the centric stops. You don't address the protrusive and excursive beforehand. You let the movement of where you're going to end up with those, you, you let the Invisalign movements build that for you. Ah, uh, okay, gotcha. The excursive. Yeah. Okay, yep, okay. So like I said, that is, that is the case then. We're shooting for the same thing, and that is good uh, CR contact all over the place anteriorly as well as posteriorly, and uh, that's what I shoot for too. Thank you. Great. Thanks so much. Dr. Gates, I'm going to go ahead and jump in here. Um, I wanted to thank you very much. Um, I know this is a topic you have a ton of information on, and unfortunately we're out of time. Um, if you submitted a text question, again, I apologize. We'll do our best to answer it after the program. A couple of quick reminders, please go to the link that's on the screen right now to take your survey and get your CE certificate. One week from today, this entire program will be archived at alignetechinstitute.com. I wanted to thank Dr. Gates again for a great presentation and all of you for taking time out of your Friday to join us, and we look forward to seeing you on another Ask the Expert program. Thanks very much. Thanks very much. Thank you. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect.